Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Balin, and I run a nifty little website called LittleRedMark.com. So in today's episode, we are covering minute 10 of the movie, The Cabin in the Woods. And this is the minute where we get introduced to the shittiest little gas station in a backwards <laughs> area pretty much ever. And we get introduced to the Harbinger. This yes. is the start of the Harbinger of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've got some pretty interesting minutes coming up here. Some choices are made and some gross things happen. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. <laughs> but before we get into that, I just wanted to backtrack a teeny bit. So at the very beginning of this minute, we've got Hadley and Sitterson kind of, you know, familiarizing themselves with their new security charge. They're walking around and turning on the lights, booting up the computers and all the screens and all the, the rando things in their, their center, their... Uh, their command center? Their command center. Yeah. So they're getting the command center together. And there's a couple of things I noticed. So one of them was, I think I mentioned it briefly in minute two. You cast your mind back to minute two in the beginning of just meeting the fellas. And Sitterson grabs an, a little cooler. And it looks like something he probably brings in every day. And uh, I wanted to circle back to it because we do see it briefly in this minute, uh, this minute as well. So the cooler is this igloo playmate. It's kind of a classic little, you know, personal cooler. And I realized I wanted to talk about it a bit more for two reasons. One, because I think it's one of those designs that will you know, may never go out of style. It's the specific thing that the igloo came out with in the 70s, the early 70s, has a very iconic look. It's this little tent top, and it's got a push button at the top that enables you to quickly release it, you know, and open it very easily. And, you know, you could fit like 18 12-ounce cans in it, so you could get like quite a bit of beer or soda pop or cola <laughs> or whatever you call it and fit it in there and still have a little bit of room for ice and such. But I actually did go and look at some of the history of this. And besides this um, iconic cooler, you know, being designed in the early 70s and still very, you know, popular and basically unchanged up until today, one of the things I also noticed um, when I was looking at sort of the history of, of Igloo as a company, and they went through several business names and did a lot of partnerships with, with different brands to kind of do branding of, you know, different coolers and stuff. One thing that I noticed was this little part that says, the company backed up its products with a three-year warranty that for many years was unique to the cooler category. It also won over customers with its ready supply of replacement parts, lids, drain plugs, etc. According to the company history, the containers have survived maulings by wild animals and stayed intact in burning buildings. 
Playmate coolers have even played a role in life-saving transplant operations. Donated coolers are used in some hospitals to transport human organs for transplant operations. So Damn. a lot of people know, you know, we're kind of noticing, you know, you, I'm sure you guys know exactly what kind of cooler I'm talking about. But I just thought it was interesting that this particular cooler <laughs> was in our movie that survived, you know, I don't know if the Playmate has survived maulings or fires, you know, it doesn't seem like it'd be the quite the material for that. But just the fact that they're talking about burning buildings and wild animals and human organs, I found a little interesting. Yeah, now I have this really interesting perspective on the cooler, because I'm thinking you could have a whole adult children's animation movie about a particular cooler that survived the fire and you know maybe got in the hands of like the cali cartel and somebody transported <laughs> like a head in there or something and- yeah i'm sure there's probably a list out there of all the different movies that the playmate has played a part in because it's definitely a kind of an iconic image so I just wanted to play that up a little bit. So the other thing I noticed in this little section were the chairs. So if you know me for any length of time, it won't take long for you to discover that I'm a big fan of design and especially mid-century design, that these chairs really stood out to me as iconic chair designs. I'm also one of those people (laughs) that kind of have a running joke with my husband is that in almost every movie or TV show, that I'll always notice the lamps, you know, especially if they're like really cool 50s or 60s or crazy, you know, 70s lamps or all sorts of stuff or 1930s, Art Deco, you know, all sorts of cool lamps. But I'll just, (laughs) we'll be watching a scene of something like the recent Twin Peaks reboot comes to mind. And I'll just be sitting there going, I love lamp. I love lamp. (laughs) I love lamp. (laughs) They really packed a lot of good lamps into that show. So. <laughs> I get a little, uh, you know, uh, from the Ron Burgundy movies. There's that I love lamp part that just kind of sticks in my brain. So I get a little, a little uh, single-minded when I see a good lamp. But right now we're talking about chairs. <laughs> so I recognize these as looking like the the Eames management office chair. These very iconically designed Herman Miller um, chairs. But I took a little bit um, more of a look at the at, at these chairs here in these first couple seconds of the of this minute, and noticed that the the legs at the bottom are a little bit taller. I won't go into too much more detail, but they look like like it looks like perhaps the production didn't spend upwards of two thousand dollars on each of these chairs <laughs> to get these. Uh, Eames management office chairs, but instead probably picked up a hundred dollar knockoffs because that's what the um, the leg design looks a little bit different. And I found some hundred dollar knockoffs made with vegan leather rather than Ooh. classic cow leather <laughs> that had a that similar leg shape. So if you're wondering that, that's my best guess by looking at the the legs there that they're Eames knockoffs, not the originals. Although I really like the idea that the human resource department at the facility really values design and comfort for these gentlemen is like, we're not going to get you a fucking coffee maker, but we're going <laughs> right. to go ahead and we're going to drop 4K on a couple of Eames chairs for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
So yeah, no, the other thing I other thing I really notice about this is just that they're you know they're booting up everything, and you kind of you get a really big like you know like like Ooh. some huge generator is coming on or something mm. you know maybe you know like when you're working in an office building at night everything gets turned off and maybe the temperatures are kind of regulated lower because not all the machines are running and everything you know whatever it is they're turning everything on and it's definitely generating a lot of a lot of power yeah, that that's kind of where I was for the first few seconds. What kind of stuff did you get out of this, Molly? The first couple of minutes or the first couple of seconds, because they're really just in, in the facility there, is the sheer scope of all the little lights and the buttons that and, and I know that um, Drew grew up in Albuquerque, Los Alamos. And so some of the facility is a throwback to the like nuclear testing sites, mm-hmm. like 1950s nuclear testing sites. And I actually have a friend here, Kara Lee, shout out, who also grew up in Los Alamos and the weirdness of, you know, having the atomic bomb developed there. And I think that this facility does have that. It's not exactly state-of-the-art technology in there. And it does have that that booting up noise, that acquiring target, you know. Definitely, Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, and it's really for our benefit as an audience, because it's completely impractical in reality. You know, right. it's this does not look like NORAD. This is... <laughs> <laughs> it's more like it's just giving us a sense, right? Like a sense of maybe foreboding or sort of hearkening towards this, the Los Alamos and other... Like, oh, this sound is giving me a familiar sense of foreboding or dread. Yeah, it has a little bit of that Dharma initiative from Lost, which is also a bit of a Drew Goddard jam as well. He wrote for Lost. So there's that that sense that we have in the collective consciousness of late 50s, early 60s, where computing just started and everything's much larger. And it's like, you don't know where, what any of this shit does. You presume it's right. really important, but it's lighting up in some way. There's lots <laughs> of buttons. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know, probably just walking around doing random stuff just to make it look like they know what they're doing and everybody else is making the magic happen. So it looks like there's on the computer screens, we're getting a shot of the US, we're getting a shot of the earth, we're getting a shot of, you know, zeroing down in on this, this location where the kids are making their way. Right. It's not it's not like when you're trying to boot up your laptop, your Mac laptop, and there's that little bouncy ball of death that comes through that's like spins with the colors that you just have to stare at that until right. it decides it knows what it <laughs> wants to do, you know? And that's what it would normally be in an office setting. So I, I'd find it curious. I mean, I'm taking it way literally, but I find it curious that the big money's been spent on. Now you have this macro view and these successive shots that are smaller in nature until they finally get down to the ground level where these kids are at. Yeah, I guess to me, it helps tell the story that the scope of the story that this is, this is, um, they're not some small business in a big building, like this is a global, globally positioned thing, just like Marty was saying in last minute, they're globally positioning our asses. And then here it is, we're seeing them globally position their asses, literally right now on these screens. 
Mm. So, yeah, it's like threading together the last minute with this. Like, they may think, oh, Marty's being paranoid and saying this this silly stuff. And then, bump, bump, here we go. It's happening. It's really happening. I like the law and order, like, bump, bump. <laughs> bump, bump. <laughs> Ripped from the headlines. So we uh, shift out to this global, from this global positioning to the Rambler, and it is turning into this kind of like little bridgy thing into this really crappy, backwoods looking gas station that looks mighty unfriendly. So when the Rambler approaches, it's a really broke down looking shack, and there's a lot of debris in the yard. I mean, it's not even really intelligible. It has that classic sense where, well, we kind of do this ourselves, so I know where it comes <laughs> from, <laughs> where you have stuff that's just not really usable anymore, and you don't really know what to do with it, and it's in your front yard, and you know you should remove it, but you're just not going to. And so there's just a lot of debris and just a lot of crap. And then there's some really ancient gas pumps and this is supposed to be like summary time, but it's not actually summary time there. One of the things that, you know, if y'all watch the commentary, they said that this was the first place they shot and they arrived to it having snow on the ground. But the trees are very, very barren. So it has that Halloween-y twigs crackling sort of feel that you're you're rolling up on something that's just very dead and not modern and not being cared for. Right. What I was thinking was like, this is no, uh, the movie Cars. I don't think that's a great movie, you know, uh, the Pixar movie Cars. Mm -hmm. But I do like it for the environment that it's in this uh, Route 66. I've done a little bit of traveling, not completely the entire Route 66, but done some traveling in that area. And you do get kind of excited when you see these little sort of off the beaten path gas stations or some of them have some really cool vintage pumps or, you know, maybe you'll even see something that's preserved specifically so that you can enjoy, you know, something hearkening back from the 40s or 50s. Mm. <laughs> this is like not giving you any of that, you know, quaintness or retro cool design factor much. It's just a, a bunch of like you said, sort of crumbling crap. It's not, it doesn't look like somewhere you could safely poke around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like a picker's paradise where you go, ooh, I wonder what, you know, vintage gas station signs are leaning against the back building that I might be able to buy for $20 off this guy. You know, it's just, it looks a, a bit more decrepit and uh, unsafe. Right. Yeah. Unsafe is, is the optimal word there. This is not rockabilly vintage heaven. This is more deliverance. And that's a different jam. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Same instruments, different tune. <laughs> yeah. And then there's even the kind of creepy crawly dolly shot behind the twiggy trees where you get this movement like the trees are moving and you can't quite tell is that because there's a bit of a breeze or is there somebody creepy crawling back there sort of observing that these people are showing up right yeah there's a, a couple of really voyeuristic shots that give you a sense that, you, that these people are being watched there's like a long shot i mean even them pulling up initially 
Um, you have the sense that somebody is at the street level watching them come in. You have like real distance in between them. They're, they're not even really medium shots and a little bit down the way. But Holden, who is peering into the window at the end of this minute, the vantage point is of somebody inside of the house looking at him and he doesn't see them right pretty creepy (laughs) yeah it's it's exceptionally dodgy and and i think that i'm gonna posit a theory here because this is all about a bad omen basically these are bad signs so they've rolled up on a place that has a confederate flag at the top of the building the building says closed on it There's nobody around. It looks like it's decrepit. Nothing's been modernized. There's eerie music. So that's tipping us off that this is not so much a warm and friendly environment. You've got a view that these guys are being watched. You've got the crackling of the trees and the wind. You can hear metal scraping, like metal in the wind, like Mm -hmm. somebody's hung something up. So all of this is creating a very, very unfriendly environment. It's nothing about this feels like, gosh, we should investigate here. And yet they all get out and they check it out. So having said all that, that this is not a very warm, friendly, come sit down and have a picker's paradise and have a cup of tea, that all of this says, get the fuck off the property. There's a level of intuition of maybe this is not a place to hang out. Maybe this is not a place to get gas. So that led me to thinking this is supposed to be about signs. So while we as an audience are recognizing all of these individual factors as being an unwelcome mat, basically, maybe to somebody within that environment, they may not pick up on all of these individual aspects, but they're maybe getting a unconscious feel that this is not really a place to hang out. Right. And so that kind of got me thinking to ask you, Heidi, what your thought was about harbingers in have you had a harbinger in your life? Have you had some some sort of incident where you look back and go, wow, yeah, that was really I got a sense that this was just bad. And even in retrospect, I I saw that it was bad. And I got out when I should have, or was there a time, and I know I'm just like totally having run on questions for you right now, but sure. was there a, <laughs> was there a time where you can look back, you know, hindsight being 2020 20, and just saying, Hey, actually these were all these signs that I really should have gotten out of the situation. And I didn't because I, even though I felt like this was bad, I pursued it anyway for whatever reason. So what I was curious about is this is about also trusting your gut And if you could think back to a time, you know, really either positive or negative, that you can remember where you should have trusted your gut and walked away, or you didn't trust your gut and you stuck around and something untoward happened. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have a few examples of (laughs) both of those things. I definitely believe that as I've gotten older, I have learned to trust my gut a lot more. And one of the things I'll just say about that is that one thing that was a key component of the gut trusting as a, you know, as an adult and as a coach for people that helps people cultivate that trust of their own gut is that the key component to me was that I don't have to know why. Mm. Like I think in the past, I think there's, I was using a lot more of this logic brain of 
well, it seems fine. Or I don't know why I'm, I don't know why something in my gut saying no, no, no. And because I can't figure that out, I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing. And that's the thing about the gut is that it's, it's a different part of your brain. It's a different part. It's a different part of the system. And that system is more of a monkey brain or a more uh, fight or flight sort of a brain where it doesn't, it actually doesn't really have a good vocabulary. And so it's not very good at explaining to you the why. It just is telling you no, because something knows. <laughs> something something primal in you knows to say no. So, so nowadays, it's easier for me to be able to say no to things and say, even to somebody, say it's a, a project or something or an outing or something, I'll say, I'm not sure why I'm saying no, but I just, something in me is not wanting me to do this. And I may ne never understand, or, you know, if I if it's important to talk it out, maybe I will talk something out. But in the past, the some of the things that I definitely, you know, totally ignored my gut on, I won't go into huge detail or use names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There was definitely a time where I invited somebody to be my roommate and a couple weeks out of them moving in realized like, oh my gosh, this person is really struggling in their life. And I've just invited that in at a point where something in me maybe wanted to take care of them or help them. But in instead, it's just absolutely disrupting my life on this level of which I'm absolutely miserable and don't feel safe in my own home. And, and it was kind of embarrassing that I didn't realize it, you know, but the reality was, you know, for some reason at that point, I was just blinded to seeing how disruptive it was. And then I, you know, kicked the person out and took a little while and but it was, yeah, it was crazy. Like somebody, my brother actually took me aside and, you know, took me to lunch and said, like, you seem really miserable. What's going on? And like, oh, all of this stuff is going on and crying and letting it all out and and then being able to take action after having some perspective from a friend it was great. And then another one was, it, it was as clear as the spittle on the harbinger's mouth. <laughs> I was <laughs> falling for somebody. And, and I definitely, you know, went through my bad boy phase for sure. But I was falling for somebody who was, I was quick to understand, oh, this person, you know, really has a drinking problem. Like they're not just uh, somebody who likes to have a couple drinks, you know, they're really um, hardcore alcoholic. And we just had such chemistry and such the hots for each other, <laughs> that I just totally fell for him. And uh, even he was one of the people warning me, you know, like he himself would say, I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> and I, uh, I felt like I could read the word doom on his forehead, and that in my own head, I could hear the words doom the entire time I was in that relationship. And once I did, I did leave the relationship, it took a few months, but it didn't last too long. I, I remember going like, I knew this was going to end this way, but something in me needed to go through this process anyways, you know. And when I did make the decision to leave, it was a very clear cut, very painful, but clear cut decision. Like I got together with him one evening, 
and we went to do something together and I saw, okay, this isn't changing. This person isn't ready to give up their drinking and I have got to get out of here. And I just, you know, said to him very plainly, like I was hoping we were going in the same direction and on the same page and on the same path and we're just on different paths. And so I need to go. And then I just left. Mm. So there's, yeah, there's some examples for you. <laughs> there's a can of relationship worms I opened up here. Wow. Actually, these are really good examples. I really appreciate you actually saying that because I think that's really helpful. Because of course, I'm connecting to all the times that I haven't listened to myself. And I'm just really recognizing seeing signs of things going left and at the same time, Kind of like what you were saying, it's like, I have to go through this. There's this imperative to have this experience, even though I know it's going to be painful and it's probably not going to end well. But for whatever reason, my humanity or my path at this point has to go through this. Yeah, it's a part of living. (laughs) You know, you just have to do it sometimes. And, And even though when I was you know, in my 20s, I felt like so, you know, there's a certain time in your life where I think typically we feel very smart and above it all. And <laughs> like, we know what's going on in the world. And but I definitely had a few hard turns to take. I'm glad I I did and survived them and all that stuff. So yeah, I do. I do feel like you can look at something like this scenario here where uh, yeah, the, I mean, the kids in, in the Rambler aren't getting the spooky music. You know, they don't seeing the camera shots that we're seeing. <laughs> they don't have quite as many clues. But as we move on to the next minute, they're going to get hit over the head with some serious clues <laughs> as to what, uh, you know, what the harbinger is here for, which is to, you know, give them a nice, big, fat opportunity to turn around and right. go back. Yeah, I think this is more the environmental warning. And even though they don't have the benefit of creepy voyeuristic long shots like we do, and they don't have the benefit of minor keyed music in the background, they're still, I think, really unwelcomed. The unwelcome mat has been rolled out for them. Right. And so I feel like what we're seeing initially are are all the environmental signs of we are now setting in a a stage for this to be unpleasant. And the next minute is really about setting up. Here's a verbal warning for you. (laughs) Right. And a bunch of visual warnings that will go into great detail. And just before we, you know, move out of this minute too, I definitely want to highlight the awesomeness of when they do first pull up. And like you said, everybody kind of piles out of the rambler here we get a, f- a great little exchange <laughs> where they're trying to figure out if, if they can use a credit card to get gas. And Marty says, I don't, what does he say? I don't think they know about money. <laughs> the Like the gas pumps themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's barter gas. <laughs> that was really hilarious. Just list- watching his delivery over and over, I just thought that was really funny. I think it's barter gas. And I do like Hemsworth's reaction to him too. Like there's a little bit of a chuckle, mm-hmm. you know, with that. And then Hemsworth is also holding a, a football, which I'm like, why the hell are you holding a football? You're supposed to like be gassing up the, you know what I'm saying? There's like, yeah, I wonder if that's supposed to still be, uh, well, okay. So 
we talked way back in the beginning, a couple minutes back, about how the costumes were supposed to, over time, change everybody around a bit. Mm -hmm. So Marty costume-wise, much as my recollection is, and as much as the um, article that I referenced a while back was that he doesn't really go through much of a costume change. I mean, obviously, he's going to lose that sweater eventually, but I don't see a big change. But as far as the beginning, I think it was supposed to be, oh, well, Kurt knows all about the books, right? He's picking up the books and kind of like, oh, this guy's a smart, smart guy. So maybe he's sort of the intellectual person of the group, even Mm -hmm. though he looks, you know, he looks like a jockey kind of guy. And then Holden's the one that catches the football when Kurt throws it. And he's wearing like a kind of a typical jockey outfit in that he's wearing a, you know, zip up sweatshirt hoodie. And so then they were saying that over time that in the movie that the costumes were going to change so that it ends up Kurt is playing more of the jock role and that Holden is going to end up being more of the the other role. So maybe this is part of that transition. Him play, holding the football is more saying like, hmm, maybe it's, it's not Holden that's the jock. Maybe Kurt's the jock. Right. And that's a good point. I think that that, I didn't realize that it started that early. That transition starts now. Yeah. I mean, that's just something for us to take a look at because why else would he even be holding the football? I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to like, hey, we're going to hang out at a shitty gas station and throw the <laughs> right, football right. around a little bit. Too. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, why are you bringing the football? Are you afraid that like Marty's going to take it? He's going to run back into the Rambler. And... <laughs> he's going to turn it into a bong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That's that's just that's a device that has no practical purpose. Well, another thing I was going to mention too, you mentioned the flag up there. We get a a quick glimpse of it in this minute, the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. And one thing I I noticed when they were talking on the commentary is that they used this building and this building was a house. So it, it's a house that exists. They just turned it into a gas station by adding the, the pumps and as we'll see some set dressing inside. But I thought that it was interesting that they mentioned that the Confederate flag was not part of the set dressing. It was already there and they just left it up. <laughs> and this was shot in Canada, which is especially yeah, weird. It's like, this is especially like, especially weird. <laughs> why do you have a Confederate flag? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, yeah, even this, um, you know, knowing, uh, like you said, that the place was covered in snow and already had a, a Confederate flag, you know, it was already kind of a harbinger of doom just all on its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Cool. <sighs> so, yeah, I think I'm kind of looking at my notes here. I don't think I really had anything else about this Talked about barter gas, talked about those Eames chairs. We haven't quite met our key character that's going to be up for the next couple minutes. That I'm, I'm pretty excited about minute 11. Anything else uh, from you regarding minute 10? The only thing that I did have is that I looked up the actual definition of harbinger. Oh, great. And according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a harbinger is something that foreshadows a future event, something that gives an anticipatory sign of what is to come. 
What I think is interesting is I think of a harbinger like a harbinger of doom. I never think of a harbinger as like a harbinger of joy, you know, like <laughs> it seems even though it, it it's just saying that it's foreshadowing, I never think of it as foreshadowing something of a uh, pleasant nature. What do you think of the word harbinger? Well, I have a negative connotation to it as well. I don't have a harbinger of unicorns or <laughs> of rainbows and puppies and kittens and shit. Like a harbinger is like bad shit's coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad we've got the official definition of harbinger and I'm ready to meet the harbinger. Yeah, me too. Me too, really? I'm really excited. I'm so excited to meet you, Harbinger. <laughs> I guess in this safe distance sort of context, I'm like, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, on that note, shall we wrap her up? Yeah, let's wrap her up. So uh, before we take off, I just wanted to let everybody know that we've officially named our Facebook group. <laughs> and uh, somebody in our Movies by Minutes group, I'll, I'll get their name and shout them out on another day. But they suggested this great name for our Facebook group, which is <laughs> Gabin in the Woods. <laughs> I just, I love this so much. So shout out to, we'll find out who suggested this, but yes, for sure. I, I literally just found this out right before we were recording this episode and I totally busted up because I also feel like it's like a gaggle of ladies getting together yeah. with, you know, tea and pastry and just <laughs> chewing the fat. So I totally see, I don't know, either mint juleps and like Southern ladies Ooh. and don't forget the gents. We'll definitely have ladies and gents when we're at our Facebook group called Gabin in the Woods. All are welcome. All, All are welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Scary. Yeah. You're scaring me. Um, <laughs> cool. So yeah, so just as a reminder, so we've got our website up. It's called, it's, the website is simply cabinminutecast.com and uh, shout out to Brian for for designing and getting that up for us. I really appreciate it. And uh, that's where you can find everything. So you'll find links to the Facebook group, Gabin in the Woods. Um, you'll find a link to be able to subscribe on iTunes or any of your favorite podcatchers and uh, all the social links and all that stuff. So that's where to find us at cabinminutecast.com. Sweet. And thank you guys for showing up and listening to Minute 10. Show on up for Wednesday for more delightful Harbinger times. Sweet. See you then.